chapter 32, and we'll pick it up in verse number 1 here. Uh, Probably one of the most uh, famous chapters in the book of Exodus. Uh, It is referenced uh, several times uh, in the rest of the scriptures of a real pivotal day in the nation of Israel's history and, uh, and what they did here. And there's a real, uh, a real uh, eye-opener, so to speak, uh, and, a, and a clear application, uh, application to New Testament worship. And uh, last week we covered the uh, story in Leviticus chapter 10 on strange fire. Uh, this here is a subject uh, of the golden calf, but it's also a worship service that was condemned. Look at verse number 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is uh, become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off your golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molding calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. You pray with me and for me. Father, thank you, Lord, for this lesson. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that you preserved it for us to study and to to learn from. I pray you give us grace to receive what you would have us receive. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. I pray if there's one that does not know where they're going to go if they die, they would get saved. We want that. I know you want that. We pray, Lord, that we would never be... um, trite when it comes to your worship we would never take it lightly we pray god that you would help us lord not to do anything that would be not prescribed clearly through scripture god i pray that you'd help your people thank you uh, that uh, lord you've gathered us in one place and the freedom that we have it uh, to do that today so we do pray you guide us to truth i pray we leave here having been edified rather than corrupted and we do pray that you'd bless in a very special way in jesus name we pray Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. If you have your Bibles here in this passage, we are in, as I mentioned, one of the most uh, uh, referenced events. I'm not saying it is the most, but one of the most referenced events in Israel's history of the time what the Bible calls of provocation or provoking. And uh, as we mentioned last week, there was strange fire that was uh, offered up by Nadab and Abihu in that, uh, in that false worship service that uh, ended with tragically their lives being consumed by fire, the fire of the Lord. Instead of consuming the uh, sacrifice, it consumed uh, both those sons of Aaron, uh, Nadab and Abihu. And we learned some principles from that, Okay. Uh, But uh, Exodus 32 is another unfortunate event in Israel's history uh, that uh, gives quite a tremendous insight of of really how much God hates false worship. And I'm going to give you a statement. I made the statement last week and kind of repeat it so we can kind of understand a little bit about at least a uh, a harmony through the scripture on this. The most, uh, uh, well, consistently, the harshest punishments in the Bible are always during a corrupt worship service. Uh, the harshest punishments in the Bible to God's people always come as a result of corrupt worship. And that's what's happening here. Uh, and we applied it last week, and I think we can clearly do that again this week, uh, to the same principled uh, uh, worship that goes on today. Uh, the emergent church, the uh, charismatic movement, 
the experiential, culturally driven uh, worship services that we find not only here in the United States, but worldwide. In fact, they say, and of course, this is Pew studies and research that have shown that there is about uh, half a billion worldwide uh, that are in this type of movement. And, uh, and you kind of put that in perspective. There's one billion Catholics. There's a half a billion uh, in this movement today. And it's being very seductively uh, used to bring God's people into somewhat of a bondage. And I'm going to prove it this morning of almost in a sense of corruption uh, as we find here. Big movement. Big movement. In fact, there's only 14 million Mormons worldwide. And so this is a encompassing movement that's worldwide. And, uh, and so before we get into that, remember last week uh, that the ultimate purpose for man is to worship God. Uh, that's what we're created for. In fact, the Bible talks about true worship and uh, true worship must be done in truth and in spirit. The Bible says in John 14, the father seeketh such to worship him. So God does look, he does seek for people to worship him, uh, but it must be anchored in spirit and in truth. And so there's a lot of worship today. There's a lot of religious people today. There's a lot of churches today. Uh, But the problem is not necessarily the absence of worship, especially here. Uh, They were worshiping in Exodus 32, uh, but the absence of acceptable worship Worship was the problem. Uh, this was never mandated as Nadab and Abihu, when they walked into the, uh, to the tabernacle to offer that strange fire to God, never was that commanded. In fact, it was largely condemned. So in other words, the problem is not the rejection of religion or worship today. The problem is that there's an indifferent worship today. There's a worship that is not consistent, or can we say it this way, that is not biblically ordained. It is not set or anchored in any kind of biblical criteria. And if you look at the average emerging, culturally driven, experiential type church, you'll find that there's a minimizing of the word and there's a maximizing of feelings or emotionalism. And it's engineered, and I'll, I'll move that uh, into that later. But uh, I think this is, a, uh, this is not a far cry uh, different the story than what we see today. And God still has the same feelings about sin as he did in Exodus chapter 32. He hasn't changed. Um, he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. His holiness is still the same. His purity is still the same. His word is still the same. And so people say, well, he's a different God. The same God has not changed at all. And so the point is, it's not necessarily a change of culture. Is it with the, the, the mode of worship has changed with the culture. And that's why I see here in this story is so up to date. It's not an Old Testament story that is irrelevant, is absolutely relevant uh, today. And false worship, as I mentioned last week, is costly. These two boys that worshiped uh, God the wrong way uh, were killed. Now, I'm not saying that when you leave this building today and you worship God the wrong way, that God's going to strike you dead. He may do it. I'm not saying he wouldn't. But I'm saying that uh, we can at least understand that God has at least an opinion against corrupt worship. And that's been consistent throughout the scripture. And so there's a serious warning in this passage for us. And I would say through God, though God's very patient, very loving, and very uh, much long-suffering, he's also righteous, he's also holy, and he's also just. And so there comes a time when the attributes uh, of God will bring about the judgment and the justice that he is. And so he's not going to wink at false worship services. He's not going to look the other way. There is, if you would, judgment coming. As you mentioned, as, as I mentioned in Exodus 32, this was a horrible situation, a horrible situation. I'm not going to ask you to turn back and restudy this, but you could look at this later in your own study. Uh, but really, uh, the children of Israel in Exodus 32 are between two huge mandates from God. Uh, they already received the Ten Commandments. God gave those to Moses in Exodus chapter 19. He delivered them to the children of Israel. They assented to those verbally, and they said, this will we do. He also, with the Ten Commandments, gave them some social commandments of how to interact socially. Moses goes back up to the Mount, Mount Sinai, which, by the way, was still being consumed by fire. At least it appeared to be consumed by fire. So can you imagine being here 
in the desert looking up at this entire mountainside, mountaintop, on fire. Moses is in that fire. Uh, he's in the place of God's presence, which is the Shekinah glory of God, which would be a thick cloud. We can cross-reference that with several other places in the scripture where you find God's presence, you find a thick cloud. Y'all with me? Sit up and listen to this. This is, this is, this is God speaking here, not me, just God here. He's in a thick cloud and he's dwelling in that thick cloud. The children of Israel looking up and that fire saying, no way, no way can someone live through that. And so they're in between two huge mandates. One is they got the Ten Commandments. Number two, they're going to get the instructions on how God will be approached with the tabernacle. So we, they don't know this yet. Moses is back up to the mountain getting those instructions. And I think that's chapter 24 through chapter 31. Very detailed instructions that God is going to give Moses. And he's going to bring those back down to tell the children of Israel how he will be worshipped. How the tabernacle will be set up. But they're between these two things, and they come up with this brilliant but stupid idea. And I'm using the word stupid very reverently. This was a horrible idea that they came up with. In verse number one, you'll find here that they said, when the people saw that Moses came, uh, delayed to come down from uh, down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not what is become of him. In other words, we don't know where he is. So the man that brought us out, he may be dead for all we know. So we need someone else. Been 40 days. Been 40 days. And and no one can live in that fire for 40 days. And he's got to be dead by now. We don't know what's become of him. So they come to Aaron. And they bring to him a worship idea. We're going to have a different church service. And let's go ahead and make a calf, make a God that will go before us. We need a God. We don't know where Moses is and we don't know what's become of him. Number one, false worship. Listen to this. This is interesting. The false worship of Exodus chapter 32 was initiated by the people and facilitated by the leaders. Okay, the false worship was initiated by the people and facilitated by Aaron. The people came to Aaron. Aaron didn't come to the people and say, hey, you know what? I'm kind of really uneasy about Moses and where he, he never came to them and asked them to become part of this worship service. They came to him. He's just as much at fault. I'm not going to take him off the uh, hot seat here, but I will say it was initiated largely by the people according to the text. And sometimes it does come. Corruption sometimes comes from the top down. Sometimes it's the pastor that takes the church in the wrong direction. I understand that. But here in this text, and I believe in a lot of churches, it is from the congregations to the pastors. Today, in this, in this time, where the congregations don't want the old-time religion, the congregations don't want the solid Bible teaching, the congregations don't want to be uh, preaching about the blood of Jesus Christ every service, the congregations don't want to sing the old hymns, the congregations don't want to believe there's only one book, the congregations are saying, hey, we need more music, we need more black ceilings, we need more lights. The congregation is putting the pastors, uh, if you would, in a position where you got to change, we got to be updated and that's what they did. They came uh, a point where these uh, people came to Aaron and say, Aaron, you got to change this. Uh, we can't go any longer. People are murmuring. People are complaining about this. We don't know where Moses is. And they want us to get a God. Aaron should have stopped him. Aaron should have said, no, <laughs> we, we can't do this. Uh, and and, I, and I, I thank God for the pastors that put their, their stop signs up to congregations and say, hey, listen, let's do this and that. And the pastors say, no, what does the Bible say? What does the scripture say? I, I appreciate pastors that stand for truth. I appreciate pastors that take a stand even against their own congregations to stand with God and not with a culture. Y'all with me this morning? And so the point is, Aaron could have stopped him. Aaron could have said, no, we're not doing that. Instead, in verse number two, he said, break off your golden earrings, which are in your ears of your wives, of your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. Okay, we'll do it. Let's move forward. Now, listen, as I mentioned this here, uh, that this is the majority of the congregation. 
that was coming to the leadership. You know, now listen, here's a principle. My, my, my dad and my mom were teaching me this, me when I was younger. The, and some of you parents have probably said this to your kids. Just because everyone else is doing it doesn't make it right. right okay. <laughs> so majority does not equal right. Y'all with me? Just because everyone else says it's right to do does not make it right. Are y'all with me this morning? And you got to be careful on this because sometimes if we're, we're, we're real crafty on using things that are outside of the scripture to determine what is right or not. And so when we get that, you're going to get yourself in a swamp. God's people need to be anchored on what is right. No matter what the majority says. Case in point. Ten, uh, remember the uh, 12 spies? They came into the, uh, into the land of promise that God promised uh, uh, Israel. And 10 came back, says, we can't do this. Two says, we can do it. Caleb and uh, Joshua says, we can do this. And the minority was outweighed by the majority. And the majority, watch this, were the ones that directed the entire nation of Israel to go into 40 years of wandering. Majority are not always right. So just because it's popular doesn't make it right. Just because it's cool does not make it right. Just because it's in does not make it right. Culturally centered worship is not biblically centered worship. They're different. They're not the same. So number one, the false worship was initiated by the people and facilitated by the leaders. You need to pray for pastors. You need to pray for congregations. I think it's a two-way street. I think, I think the congregations need to hold the pastors accountable. The pastor starts bringing in the wrong music. The pastor starts bringing in uh, the, wrong, uh, the wrong salvation. Uh, starts bringing in the modern. You ought to be, the, the congregation ought to hold the pastor accountable. Are you all with me this morning? I mean, it's, a, it's as if the pastors, in some cases, are shoving it down these congregations' throats. I'm seeing, I visited a church in Cincinnati and boy, they brought it in, man. I mean, it's, it's the new stuff. It's the hill song. It's all the Bethel music. It's the whole, the whole thing, man. And, uh, and here we have the, the average age in this congregation was probably 75. And they're trying to jam to whatever music is out there. And I'm like, it ain't working, honey. <laughs> Um, there's a pastor playing drum set up there and, and it's a dead church. There's Ichabod written on the church. No one's walking aisles. No one's getting saved, but boy, they're having an experience and it's being pushed by a pastor. Sometimes it's from the top down. Sometimes it's from the bottom up. I think both of us need to be careful that we hold each other accountable. Don't, don't listen, be careful. What, what, listen, be careful what influences you in your worship and your view of God. Be careful because what you are taught outside of perhaps your, the body that you, you're, you're in and you're growing with many times affects how you think. And then it's a matter of time that it infiltrates the entire body. And then it's almost a, it's a corruption. Number two, false worship creates a God. This is interesting. And, and you say, pastor, this is so silly. How can they do this? Because they're human. How can they be so silly to do this? Because they're sinners. Number, number two, false worship creates a God that becomes God. I know it's a trite statement. It's almost redundant, but let me just kind of work us through this. Think about this. They take the golden earrings off of their children, the sons and the daughters, all of the people in the first number two and verse number three explains that all of them were part of it. So this is a sacrificial offering. They bring the gold in there. And then they, without hesitation, they begin to make some proclamations as soon as this thing is built. If you look in verse number, uh, verse number four and received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molding calf. And now, now watch what the congregation says. This is not necessarily Aaron. Aaron is going to make a proclamation in the next verse. Uh, but, uh, look in verse number, uh, four. And they said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now, that's a mouthful right there. Now, you think what they're saying. They're saying God didn't bring us out. These, these gods brought us up. The God that we just made is now God. 
And yet the calf immediately, though it did not exist before this, became their God. And clearly it wasn't the Lord had nothing to do with God. And yet at this time, they begin to attribute what they just made with their own hands out of their own ears. They begin to attribute all the works of God and what he did in Egypt with the 10 plagues and with the parting of the Red Sea and all the miracles they already had seen up to this point, which is just recent in their mind. All of that was attributed to a God that they just created. So the point is that, ladies and gentlemen, is this, is that we can create a God that becomes a God. It's it's as if we're pulled into it and then we believe it. Let me give you an example. As we, on Wednesday night, we're going back over the incredible miracle that God gave us uh, up in northern Michigan this week with uh, the uh, the razor, uh, Joe's razor, that burst in the flames. Two of the boys, uh, Jackson and Peyton, in the back seat, strapped with five-point harness straps. The thing is engulfed in flames, uh, gasoline everywhere, engulfing in flames, and the two fathers get out on each side and get the other person's son out of the five point harness in the middle of flames, in a wall of flames, reaching in and pulling these boys out. Uh, Jackson had singed uh, a hair and uh, an eyebrow and, and, uh, and Mike had uh, singed hair and Joe, of course, says he did too. We just can't see it uh, but because uh, he's bald uh, or he shaves himself. And so he wanted to make sure his hair was singed too. But uh, but uh, it was amazing to, as they walked away 10 steps to look behind them as they're trying to run away. The seats that their boys were sitting in were now engulfed. The plastic is burning and melting in flames. 10 steps. Now, let me say this. That had nothing to do with luck. Don't ever attribute something to by chance. It was a miracle. It was a blessing of God. And I'm just saying, ladies and gentlemen, that when God does something amazing in your life, you need to make sure that it's him that gets the glory, not luck or not chance or not so-and-so. It is God Almighty that did that. And I say this here, that can you imagine God in heaven saying, what? What? I mean, the water turned to blood. I killed all the firstborn in the the Egyptians' uh, families. I I put a a frog plague out, a fly plague out. I mean, I gave you plagues. I split the Red Sea. I let you go across dry ground. I killed your your enemy with, uh, with the flood. Listen, all of that, and you're attributing that to a God you just created? Yet it happens. Listen, when we move away from biblical center worship, there's less glory going to God. More man-centered, man-praising. Number one, false worship was initiated by the people, facilitated by the leaders. Number two, false worship created a God that became a God. Number three, false worship always corrupts and turns you aside. If you look in Exodus 32, look in verse number seven. And the Lord said unto Moses, now watch this. God knows everything is going on down there. Moses doesn't at this point, but God does. By the way, God hears what you say in your living room. Are y'all here? God knows what you say. God knows what you're thinking right now. I can be at another place at another time. I don't want to be here. God knows that. God knows what's in your heart. So here's... Moses having no clue what they're doing down there. And God does. And he says this in verse number seven. And the Lord said unto Moses, go. Get thee down for thy people. Now watch the phrase here. Which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt. Have what? You notice here what God's doing already. He's beginning to distance himself from the corruption. Because he's holy. He's a holy God. He has to distance himself from that. He's distancing himself from this corruption. And he, by, by, by saying, this is, this is the people you brought out. Look at verse number six, or verse eight. And have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. 
And they have made a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be the gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. All It was a direct quote from what they said. He said, I heard that. I heard what you said. I heard what you said about me. I heard what you said about this false god. And he says, I want you to know, Moses, that the people are now corrupted. Now, corruption carries with it an idea of putrefying. The 1828 definition, dictionary definition, you find the word putrefy. Anyone that has ever been around death, decay, there's nothing more horrifying to the senses of human senses than that of rotting flesh, putrefying flesh. Carries the idea that these people in this worship service are putrefying to me. They've corrupted themselves and they have turned aside. Here's the word quickly. Say, how long does it take for a church to go left? How long does it take for them to go off? Not very long. Quickly. The Bible says, ponder the path of thy feet. Proverbs 4, verse 26, ponder the path of thy feet. And Lord, all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Wow, what a proverb to kind of plug right in there. God is saying to Moses, the people are turned aside. They should not have turned aside. They should have stayed where they were. They've turned aside. They made a change. They, made le- they, they went left. <laughs> they, went, they went the wrong way. Now listen, stay up, stay with me, stay with me. So the Bible clearly in this, where we're at today, we're not to turn left. We're not to turn right. We're to ponder the path of our feet. You know what that means? You better look where you're going. You better watch where you're going. You better ponder, think, ponder, uh, uh, contemplate. What direction you're going. The Bible says the prudent foreseeth the evil and hideth himself from it. There's something to be said about someone that just looks down the road. Said, I don't want to go down there. I went down there and I, or I see some other guy that went down there and that looks pretty painful. That looks miserable. Ponder the path of feet. Don't turn left or right. Church, don't turn left. Don't turn right. Stay the course. A country, don't turn left. What you have, don't turn right. Stay the course. Ladies and gentlemen, families, fathers, stay the course. Stay in your lane, as they tell us in the military. Watch your lane. Stay in your lane. Don't move left. Don't move right. Why? False worship has a corruption attached to it. The unfortunate thing is there's a lot of people that are actually corrupting themselves in a service today. They're going to leave corrupted, more corrupted. They're not going to leave edified. They're not going to leave with the desire to reach more people with the gospel. They're not going to be, uh, Lord, uh, they're not going to be uh, worked through the scripture. No, they're going to leave and they're going to actually be more corrupted than they came. That's what worship, false worship does. Number four, false worship is a, and I'll say this thought here. False worship is the worship of objectifying God. My brother had a question to me, he called me last week. He says, okay, I know this is an adolescent question, he says, but I need to kind of have a way to articulate this. He says, Jesus cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I said, yes. He says, could he have acted different than the triune Godhead? I said, what you're going to, uh, you're, you're explore, exploring modalism, and it's basically the belief that any one of the triune Godhead could act differently or separately from the other uh, part of the Godhead, almost in disagreement with the others. So well, let's, let's call our buddy Jim Alter. <laughs> That's a good question. So we, went, we, went, we worked through some scripture together. And uh, Jim says, how about this? We don't know. How about understanding there's things you will never understand? No, no, stay with me. Stay with this. It's a very interesting thought. When God says to us that my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. And here's how he, he kind of describes it. They're higher than the heavens. <laughs> That's how my thoughts are to yours. I'm paraphrasing. 
And so what he does, he gives us his visual to walk outside on a clear night, which you don't have a lot of clear nights in Ohio. But if you did, you walk out up there and it was a beautiful night the other night. You can look up, find a further star that you can find, fasten your eyes on that. And it's not even close because it's not the highest part. It's just one you can see probably trillions and trillions of light years. He says, so you can understand this. The way I think is not the way you think. You think in a finite, small matter, I don't. Are y'all here? As Job had to cover his mouth. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? In other words, shut up. There are some things you will never understand about God. Anyone says, I understand God. You don't understand God. You'll never understand. But what we do understand about him is he loves. He's long-suffering. He provided salvation. That is what we do understand. Now, listen to this. Any attempt, this is what Jim said, any attempt to try to define God always ends in a delusion and a diminishing of God. No, no, this is an interesting thought. Modern church worship reaches up to a holy God, rips him down, to be just as depraved as us. So now we can worship you. This is the act of objectifying or changing or altering God. God, as I mentioned, is a holy God. And it was common practice to, to do something like this and, and, and create this God. But false worship always emphatically changes God. It changes who he is. It, and pastors have often fed into this cultural idolatry uh, uh, in order to attract people into the church. You need to become more culturally relevant. You need to put me too or me or you too and, and you matter and all those kind of signs out there. Because after all, you are the most important thing and person in the world. No, you're not. All right. My kids are one of six in my family. And though you didn't get a bowl of cereal like so-and-so did, you're all right. (laughs) Why don't I want to eat? Well, don't eat. And you're one of 7.5 billion people in the world. Are you watch me? What we've done in our culture is we have elevated man to a very dangerous level. And we have de-elevated God to very dangerous lows. And we have created a worship that is culturally acceptable, but biblically forbidden. And it displeases God. You can cross-reference that with Ezekiel chapter 44, 10 and 12. And I've observed this. I've seen it. I, we do not see a lot of cross-bearing Christians today. If God is doing good things in their life, God is good. But the minute we get cancer or the minute we have loss or the minute something goes wrong, he is the first person that we blame. And by the way, the word God is such a great buzzword, isn't it? I mean, it's great to borrow that word, especially in tragedy. You know, Fox News, CNN, they're all godless. Until something horrible happens. Thoughts and prayers. With you. Thoughts and prayers. Godspeed. Godspeed. It's almost as if we'll just borrow the word when we want to use it. Boy, one of the Nancy Pelosi. I pray for the president every day. Her words. And she prays to Mother Earth. Her own words. Can, can I just say this? That we are very good at objectifying God, changing God. Oh, this is a cool God. <laughs> Jesus has never been cool. Never been in. He's never been hip. Emotionalism that is in churches today is excited by music. That produces movement, dancing, that produces a feeling, that produces and sort of feeds the system of worship where people believe that they've had an an experience. 
Say, Pastor, that doesn't happen today. Sure does. You know that happens. It happened here. Hey, uh, Moses, you ain't going to believe it. What, Joshua? I hear something, and I don't know if it, I don't know what it is. It doesn't. I don't know. What, it's the sound of war. War. Yes, yeah, I just hear something down there. I don't know, man. It's bad. Well, then it says in verse eighteen, and he says, "It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery." So that's not it. Neither is the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But the noise of them that. It sounds strange, Moses, but it's the noise of them that sing, do I hear? Sing? Yeah, but it sounds like war. I I can't come down here. Oh, then verse number 19, it came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp, he saw the calf. (laughs) Can you imagine the first thoughts in Moses' mind when he sees this thing? He saw the calf. Let me stop here for a second. Holy Spirit just giving me this. I wonder if we can see the calf in our life. If we're bright and spiritual enough to understand, there are some things in our life that do not need to be there. See the calf. These people saw the calf, but they didn't see the calf. Moses saw the calf and said, we got a problem. Are you spiritual enough to see the calf in your church? Are you spiritual enough to see the calf in your family? Are you spiritual enough to see the calf teenagers in your own life, your own system, your own thoughts, your own created idea of God? He saw the calf. And the dancing and Moses' anger waxed hot. You realize there are many this morning that will come to church merely to feel good instead of being equipped to do good works. I just need to feel good. Many come to get a word instead of give a word of encouragement and edification to someone else. Many come to listen to a rhetorical message that maybe excite the uh, the emotions and kind of tell some sad stories with no intention, no intention at all to walk out wanting to do what they've heard. Many come to shout amen, being deceived into believing that just shouting amen makes you spiritual. Consequently, I think there are believers that live no differently than the unbelieving world. They see no difference at all. Which is why I think the mega churches do not always result in mega cultural changes. Because they're having very little, if no, effect on the culture. Case in point, our country's descendants into paganism. And yet we have record attendance in churches. Y'all seeing this today? There's people that have attended these kind of churches for decades, and yet they have not grown spiritually at all. The Lord takes us seriously because he says they've corrupted themselves. They have turned aside. And then he says in verse number 10, did I mention this? Because I, sometimes I mention it in the next last hour. I don't know if I mentioned it here yet. Let me alone. Did I mention that yet? Okay. When you get old like me, (laughs) and I'm young, let me alone. You know, it'll be a very, very bad day when God says to America, let me alone. Oh, wow. Listen, that indicates that we need to be petitioning to God, talking to God, being at his feet, beseeching him, praying for your president, praying for this this Amy... uh, 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 Barrett, pray for her. Well, she's Catholic. Pray for her. Pray that God would help her. Let me alone. Why? That my anger, my wrath may wax hot against them. That I may consume them. Now watch this. And I will make thee a great nation. Now, God is at this point ready to start over. Start over. I'll make another covenant. And he had, by the way, every legal right. I mean, he's a lawgiver. Because if you remember, he told them clearly 
back in Exodus chapter 22, that you're not to make any graven image, images, and they did. And they assented, and they said, yes, we will, we, will, we will do. We will do what you've said. So we had every legal right to say, Moses, I'm going to kill all of them. I'm going to start a new nation with you. Well, I don't like that kind of God. That's, that's because you don't know him. He's a just God. He's a holy God. And he's been so gracious to his creation by robing his very son in flesh, letting him come down into this world, live a sinless life, and be crucified on a bloody cross 2,000 years ago in a city called Jerusalem. That when they were beating him and buffeting him and spitting on him, they reviled him by using cursed, vulgar words against his character, hanging naked on a cross for everyone to see his shame. And he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And he created a covenant. The New Testament covenant. The covenant that now you're saved by grace through faith. Now, slightly different. Moses, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to just, I'm going to do away with this. I'm going to start a new nation with you. Totally legally right to do. Here in this time, Jesus made a covenant with you through his blood. You can go to heaven by trusting him as Savior. But I wonder how God feels on his side of the covenant where he just wants to be left alone. Because of how you're acting and doing what you're doing is not pleasing to him. Several years ago, we had this 34-foot camper. I think it weighed 11,000 pounds. We packed the kids in there. We took a trip seven hours down to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And as any family, and we're just a normal family. There's nothing special about us. We fight. Kids don't always get along. I know, it just happens, you know. Lynn and I don't, but the kids, I mean, I, I know. <laughs> it's not, I don't like this campsite, you know. Why do we have to eat this? You know, why do I have to sleep on the floor? Because we don't have enough beds in this camper for everyone. But, well, I, her feet are in my, all this stuff. <laughs> so they had a private bedroom. I shut the door. I said, Lynn, I'm done. Done. I want to get out of camping. I'll never do this again in my life. <laughs> Slide back. Okay, kids, we're going to go to Gatlinburg tomorrow. and We're walking down Gatlinburg's people, shops. I'm done camping. Some attractive ladies hands out, hey, mister, would you like a pamphlet? This will give you a free membership to a day to watch the stampede. If you just sit through one day of, it's, you know, it's one of those timeshares. I'm done with camping, so yes. I'm like, yes. Went through it. Yeah, I know I'm going to get scammed. But this is going to be good. So I walk into this thing. It's a whole day thing. I didn't know this. You can step out anytime you want. No, you can't. Kids are being watched by nursery. They're untrained in another room, some other state for all we know. And we're being instructed on how wonderful it is to get into this timeshare. Where do I sign? Because I'm done with camping. <laughs> oh, I said, uh, the, the maintenance fees, um, can you just kind of have, oh, don't, they, they're never going to change. Don't, don't worry about that. They're only $300 a month, but ah. I said, I'm done with camping. I get back. I'm excited about the timeshare. I get to go, and, you know, anywhere I want, when I want. So I talked to Roger Lenhart. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I went down to Gatlinburg. You know, I'm done with camping. And uh, he's, he, you know, he said, what you do? I said, well, I got into a timeshare. He said, you what? I said, yeah, I got into a timeshare. Why? Now, this is six days or five days after he got it. He said, uh, you want to get out of that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Roger's laugh, that nervous laugh. And I'm like, 
Well, what do you mean? You say, oh, I, just, I just heard some bad things. Okay. Saturday night, I finally get after my study. Saturday, I'm preaching Sunday morning. Saturday night, you know what? I better just go back and check this out. Roger, I really respect his business sense. I went in there. Started reading the small print. Started getting online and, you know, scam, money, get out, hate it. You know, multiple, you tell me I'm scrolling. I said, oh, this is bad. <laughs> really bad. Lynn? So we had 10 o'clock at night. We had to call the guy that sold us this thing, the lawyers who call me anytime. I'm your representative. Okay. So I call him up. I said, I went out. I said, you what? Oh, no, 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 no. I went out. I'm done. I'm going to talk. It's too late. I've got to preach tomorrow. I said, I went out. I went, How do you do it? Oh, well, there's a, uh, there's uh, papers that I gave you. I said, I can't find any paperwork in this little pocket. Oh, it's, it's, it's in the zipper. <laughs> Zip. Zip. That, I'd have never found that. <laughs> Fill out the paperwork. I come to church hoping to send it out of here because I have to get it in to the mail, postmarked on, sun, or on Saturday, but everything's closed. So I said, postmark it out of the church. Our post machine is broke. <laughs> so I hightail it over to Meyer, send it to them. They gave me a receipt. Well, it won't go out till 8 o'clock. I don't care when it goes out. Give me the receipt. I said, well, so this may work. I took a picture of that, sent it to them when they called me. Hey, well, your first $300 is due. No, I'm out of that. No, you're not out of it. You're in it for the rest of your life. No, I'm not. Took a picture of it. I get a letter in the mail. You're out. You're good. Thank you, Roger, and thank you, God. I was, listen, I was in a contract I did not want to be in. It was grievous. I can't tell you how many times when I hear one of those advertisements, tired of your timeshare? No, I'm not. Because I didn't get into it. <laughs> I feel bad for all you people that get into this, but I'm not in it. Wonderful. Now think about this. All of us have signed. All of us have been part of something. You say, man, I wish I didn't do it. Moses. I shouldn't have done it. I'm going to destroy this nation here. There are stiff-necked people. I'm going to start a new nation with you. Wow. Now watch this. New Testament, Jesus Christ, new covenant. How does God view his contract with you? Is he getting glory? Is he getting honor? Are you trying to objectify him? Are you trying to worship him your way? Or are you someone that God is pleased? I'm not saying you're sinless. I'm not saying you're perfect. No. But a biblically centered life is a God pleasing life. You're never going to be perfect until you get to heaven. That means you do right regardless if you like it or not. You do right when it even goes against yourself, a church, because we're biblically centered. So as, and I'm not trying to any way human, but try to understand this, is the covenant that God made with us in the New Testament pleasing to God with your life? Okay, I'm just going to read one verse to you because it says here in 1 Peter, and I'm just going to read it and we'll go home. First Peter four seventeen, for the time will come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, Paul speaking here, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Peter speaking here. Watch this. Before God judges our nation, he's going to judge us. That's what the order is. Philippians 2.12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation. Watch this, ladies and gentlemen. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. That's our mission. We go out of this world, out of this door, we're we're shining as lights for God's glory. Not corruption, not turning aside, not objectifying God. Not creating a different God, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. He's coming back, folks. And the Bible says in Revelation, his wife, Jesus' wife, hath made herself ready. The church ought to be getting ready to meet her bridegroom. Emily Custer got married yesterday. I mean, we got a chance to watch it online. Wade was up there looking sharp. Emily Custer, if some of you don't know her, she was here years ago. She's our dear friend. And Emily walked in with her dress, being walked down the aisle. And the camera angle didn't show Emily's face. It just got Wade's face. And Wade just looking right into her eyes. And I was reminded yet again of one day when the church is going to see Jesus Christ. We're going to look at him as he is. We're going to see him as he is. Now that day, will you be ashamed at his coming? Or will you rejoice that you're with your savior? Interesting, isn't it? Remember those in Hebrews 11, the Lord just brought this to me where they were They were tortured for Christ. They were sawn asunder. And here's what it says later in Hebrews 11, that they may obtain a better resurrection. What is that? (laughs) That means there's something better. I believe there's a lot of people that will be resurrected at the day of resurrection when when we're changed in a moment, twinkle of eye. But there's not going to be a real joy when you see the Lord, not the joy that others will have. Because they'll have a better resurrection because they live more for Christ than for themselves. That's why, he, that's why Romans talks about the judgment seat of Christ. Many will be there sorrowing, sorrowing. It'll be a sorrowing time. I'm just laying it down here, folks. I'm trying to help us here. That Exodus 32 is the golden calf, a very horrible incident in the life of Israel's nation. But it didn't have to happen. And it doesn't have to happen today.